Aren't you glad that someone loved you enough to die for you? And be the go-between, to be the mediator between you and a holy and righteous God. I'm going to invite you to stand with me for just a moment. Mark chapter number 2. For those that don't know, um, my wife is expecting, and uh, this would be, something like, expecting what? Trouble from you? Yeah. Uh, that, but she's uh, expecting a, a new life coming our way, and we're excited. And uh, she is 13 weeks along, right? And uh, see, I paid attention, 13 weeks along. And so one of the things that we've had to do is we've had to make some room in our house for the new addition. And uh, so yesterday we were just like, we, we rented one of those dumpster containers and we had a throwaway party, man. It was like, have you used that in two years? Nope, throw it away. But mommy, daddy, I want that. Nope, no more, no more tears. No more memories. We'll take a picture of it and you can remember it forever. We're tossing it, right? You say, what are we doing? We're getting ready for a construction crew to come in there and finish that basement out and Uh, So it required for us to make more room in our house, and I I just, it was on my mind all week long, just clearing things out and getting rid of junk to make more room in the house for a very special person that's coming our way. And uh, as I thought about that, I thought about this passage in Mark chapter 2, where we read about a story where a house has a certain person that's in it. And that one person changes the dynamics of that house and makes it a very different place altogether. Look at Mark chapter 2, Mark chapter 2, starting in verse number 1. And again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway, you know, if you're wondering who the he is, if you read the last chapter, you learn that when the random he is mentioned in chapter 2, it's a reference to none other than Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus is the one that is in the house. And the Bible says in straightway, many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. In other words, here's a, a crippled man, a lame man. And he's carried on a stretcher by four guys. And when they could not come nigh unto him, talking about they, they couldn't get to Jesus for the press. All the people were in there and they just couldn't get through the crowd. It says this, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be Forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, and they said this Why doth this man, talking about Jesus, thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? What they did not recognize is that God was there. God manifests in the flesh, as we learn from 1 Timothy chapter number 3. Uh, God was there in an earthly house, if you will, in the person of Jesus Christ. And it says this, and immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit, that they so reason within themselves. He said to them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, and take up thy bed, and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. You know where this story starts? Look back, if you would, at verse number one. This story starts with Jesus being found in the house. I, I hope that today Jesus can be found in your house. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. I'm going to ask my dear friend, Brother Steon, if you would open us up in a word of prayer, sir.
Amen. Be seated if you would. Let me just say this much. There are some things we're going to talk about historically about this story so that it makes a little bit more sense. We'll do that in just a moment. But I want to remind you, if if this is something that is unfamiliar with you, that if you're a born-again Christian, God describes your body, your life, as a house. Uh, The the Bible says in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, talking about the new body and the new life you're going to have in heaven forever. Uh, the Bible also says, whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, talking about the body uh, that we have in this life. Uh, the Bible also says that your life is likened to a tabernacle, all right? Peter talks about this, and, and Paul writes about how your life is likened to a vessel, a, a vessel, a house, a tabernacle, a, a temple. Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. And the Bible says in John, but he spake of the temple of his body. So what you have to understand is this, is that your life is like a, is like a temple, it's like a vessel, it's like a, a tabernacle, if you will. It's a place that should be dedicated unto God. It's a place that, that, that God should be able to come in and fill and dwell there and meet with us. The question this morning is this, how full is your house? Do you have a full house today? That's not always a bad thing. But if your house is so full that you can't make room for Jesus Christ, it's too full. You know, they, they, uh, Mary and Joseph, uh, most of you know the story, on their way to Bethlehem, they, get it, they pull into Bethlehem, and man, you know, his GPS wasn't working, they got lost and whatever else, and he gets there late at night, and, and they get to the innkeeper, and they go, hey, buddy, uh, you got any rooms left? And he says, sorry, bud, there's no room in the end. You know how so many people live their lives? No room for Jesus Christ. No room for him to make changes. No room for him to be the one that that calls the shots. No room for him to come. Let me just say this much. Before I was saved, you know what my house was? My wife loves watching the those fixer-up shows, you know, and, and every time she watches, you know, Fixer Upper or fix, uh, Fixer to Fabulous or whatever all the names are, every time she watches that, all I can hear in the background is, ka-ching, ka-ching, because all I'm thinking is she's getting ideas. And, and we walked through the house because, you know, I saw this on this show, and I'm like, no! Why do we have cable? Why do we have this, this, this thing called HGTV? Why are we watching this? You know why people like to watch it? They like to watch something that is old and outdated and ruined and see it flipped and turned around. And you know what's awesome? Don't you wish you could do it in 30 minutes like they do on TV? I mean, several hundred thousand dollars later and several weeks of your life later, right? But man, there's nothing like watching something that is old and run down and outdated. It's got orange shag carpet, you know, and an ugly old tile and this and that and mildew is eating up the walls and whatever else. And they go in, they knock it out and they restore the thing. And in 30 minutes, whammo, bammo, it's a beautiful new house. And people love those shows. You know why they love them? They like watching something go from ugly to beautiful, from old to new, from broken down to restored. Can I just say this? Before I was saved, I had an old, outdated house. And yet, as I continue to get older physically, you know what God is doing inside of my life? He's making me new every single day because of Jesus Christ. My life is different. My house is different. My spiritual body is different. Everything is different because of who dwells in this house. And let me just say this much, you need to understand this much, all right, that there is no it that can save you. You know, you know what happens over there in the Old Testament? Uh, in the Old Testament, the, the Bible tells us a story. Matter of fact, uh, go to 1 Kings chapter 8. Let me show you something real quick. Uh, this is King Solomon. He's building a temple for God. And as he builds this temple for the Lord, they are asking God to bless their work. And let me just say this, we want God to bless our church. We want God to bless our homes. We, want, we never want to be out from underneath of the hand of God. When you are out from underneath that, you are out from underneath the hand of blessing and protection. That is you. If you're saved, that's your Father's hand. Amen. You want to be underneath that. We, we desire that. 
And, and you know, one of the ways that we see that God has blessed is by seeing people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. I am so glad for those young men that got saved. I'm so glad for some are getting saved. I'm so glad for all of you that have gotten saved at this church. God's doing a work in your life. And he's not done yet. But I'm going to say this much right now. If you want to know that God's blessing, you know how you know that? It's when you move out of the way so that God can move in. Look at 1 Kings chapter number 8. 1 Kings chapter 8. Look if you would at verse uh, number 10. This is a story from the Old Testament. I just want to use it to illustrate something this morning. 1 Kings chapter 8. Look if you would at verse number 10. And this is Solomon dedicating the the temple, the the house of God, if you will. Uh, Look what it says here in verse number 10. And it came to pass when the priests... Now, priests are important, right? That's not a trick question, I promise you. They're, they're important. They, they were the ones that, that brought the sacrifices to God on behalf of the people. They were the ones that prayed to God on behalf of the people. In the Old Testament, that's how it, how it was. And so the priests were, were obviously, they were ordained by God to do what they were doing. They were important, and yet, I want you to notice, they had to get out of the way. Do you see that? The Bible says that when those priests were come out of the holy place, that that was when the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand a minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had what? Filled the house. You know what you want this morning? If you're saved, you should desire for God to fill your house. We should desire collectively for God to fill this house as well. We should desire for God to come in and go, let me make some changes here. That's outdated. Let's knock that wall out. Let's move that out of the way. But the problem is we have our own ideas about how the house should look. I want you to notice it wasn't until which time that those priests got out of the way that the Lord moved in. And you you find out from the Old Testament, the priests weren't the most important thing. And not even the Ark of the Covenant was the most. There's a story in the Old Testament it goes a little something like this. The nation of Israel is, is battling. They're about to, to be invaded by one of their uh, arch uh, and nemesis is the, the nation of the Philistines. And Israel and the Philistines are about to have a battle. And, and the Bible says that uh, when they brought the Ark of the Covenant out, that the people of Israel says the Ark of the Covenant is here. It shall save us. Here's the problem. It didn't. You know why? Because it can't save you. Only a person can. Only God can. You know what they said? It shall save us. And you know what happened that day? They lost the battle. They lost the ark. You know why? Because it's not about the stuff inside of the house. It's not even about us inside of the house. That's the problem. We always think it's about us. It's about the guest that's standing on the outside, knocking, wanting to come in. By the way, Jesus will never force himself on anybody. You know what Jesus is not? Jesus is not religion. Religion says, you will, you will, you will. You have no choice in the matter. You're sprinkled when you're a baby. You're this religion, and now this is what you're going to be, and there's no decision. Let me just say this right now. Whether you're a Baptist or a Catholic, in case you think that I'm picking on someone, I don't care if you're a, I've been in the Baptist church for 47 years. You will die and go to hell without Jesus Christ with whatever label you want to. You could be Baptist. And someone one time said, you Baptists are so narrow-minded. You think you're the only ones going to heaven. I said, excuse me, sir. We're more narrow-minded than that. We don't think all of us are going. Because if you're counting on the Baptist church to save you, you're counting on an it. If you're counting on your baptism to save you, you're counting on an it. Just like they count on the ark to save them, and it could not. You know what I'm trying to get you to understand? That temple, that house of God was filled with some meticulous and glorious things. But those things inside of there, and not even the people themselves, were to be the center of attention. The Bible says over in the book of Revelation, you don't have to turn there. But over in the book of Revelation, last book of the Bible, it mentions that Jesus Christ comes to the church of Laodicea and he knocks on the door. And as he knocks on the door, he says, hey guys, do you want to have fellowship? And you know what the church says? The church says, we're busy. I got a lot of stuff going on in my life right now. Maybe you can come back later. Understand, it wasn't even lost people that said that. It was Christians. You know what I'm trying to warn you about, believer? Don't have your house so full and your life so full 
that there's no room to get Jesus in the house. Go back, if you would, to our passage, Mark chapter number 2. Mark chapter 2. Clearly, the He is Jesus Christ. But whose house is this? Did you notice He just says the house? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? He just says, He was in the house. Almost as if He expects you to know whose house it is. He says, Jesus entered the house. And you're like, okay, well, the house it is. And, and I, I think there's two reasons for that. One, he does want us to go back and figure out whose it is. But two, it could be your house. 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 You know why? Because this message applies to all of us. If you're lost without Jesus Christ, in other words, you're counting on your own righteousness, your own goodness, and by people's standards, listen carefully, you might even be a better person than me, but understand this, when you stand before God to give an account of your life, you will not stand and give an account of your life in front of me. You will do it with a sinless being at your side. You will not be measured against another sinner. You'll be measured against a sinless man named Jesus Christ. And listen, if you're lost without Christ, and I say this, you need to make room to let him in. And if you're a born-again child of God, you need to do with your calendar, clear it off, and let him in. You need to do with your mind, clear it out, and let him in. You need to do with your heart, clear it out. All that unforgiveness, all that bitterness, all the things you have in your own mind, in your heart, that you're holding on to, get rid of it so he can move in. Mark chapter 2, I want you to notice here. He mentioned some things about this house. You might just pass it up if you're not careful. Look at verse 1. This house is clearly found in Capernaum. You say, well, what's the big deal with that? Well, go back to chapter 1. Let me show you something real quick. Look at chapter 1. And look at after he calls Peter and James and John in the verses prior. Look at verse 21. And they went into where? Capernaum. And straightway on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue and taught, and they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. But I want you to notice that Capernaum is where this house in chapter 2 is mentioned. And in chapter 1, so far, all, we've, all we can see here is he's already been to Capernaum before. Are you with me so far? All right, look at verse 29. Look at verse 29. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. So the house listed here in chapter 1 is the house of Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. Look, if you would, at verse number 30. But Simon's wife's mother, if you're doing this in your head, that is Peter's mother-in-law. All right? Peter's mother-in-law lay sick of a fever and anon. That means immediately they tell him of her. Now, let me just say this much. Jesus did not, you know, run away. He didn't ask her, have you been vaccinated? He didn't leave her to herself. He went into that situation knowing that she was sick because he could do something for her that nobody else could do. Are you with me? But he had gone into a house that nobody else wanted to go inside because the person in there was sick. And yet, I want you to understand, look if you would just a few verses later. Look at verse 32. Look at verse 33. The whole city is gathered outside the door of this house. How is it that a place that nobody wants to go to all of a sudden becomes the place where everybody wants to come and see what God is doing? I'll tell you what happened. Look, if you would, at verse number 31. Jesus healed this woman because Peter was willing to do something that you need to be willing to do today, and that is let Jesus in your house. Well, I'm afraid of what he might find. What he might find is good for you because what if he finds something that is eventually going to be to your detriment, there's a spiritual sickness there. It might be good for him to go around and go, let's get rid of that. Let's get rid of that. Let's make room for this. You know what we're concerned about? I'm afraid that he's going to start changing things. Can I just say this? He's a better contractor than you'll ever be. Hey, don't forget he was a carpenter after all. <laughs> he knows what he's doing. Do you trust him, Christian? Will you let him in your house? Let me say this again. If you're here without Jesus Christ, there's no church membership. There's no baptism. There's no level of charity. There's no religious ritual that you could do that could take away your sin. The only thing that could take away your sin, we sang about it and you're learning about it right here, is a man named Jesus Christ. 
here's this man that is sick, and you would think that this man becomes the central person of this story, and yet he's not. You might look at the four guys that were carrying him on a stretcher, and by the way, there's a great lesson, a great lesson in who your friends are. Because your friends can bring you to Jesus and can change your life. If you've got the right kind of friends. I mean, listen, let's just be honest. If you're one of the four dudes and you walk up to the house and you see the masses surrounding the house where Jesus was at, and you're going, oh, man, come on, Pete, let us in. And Peter's like, I can't. There's hundreds of people here. I don't even know what to do. And they're looking around. If if you're on the stretcher, you're thinking to yourself, there goes my opportunity. And all of a sudden, you start hearing your friends talk, and they're like, hey, what do you think about this? And you're the doing the stretcher like, please don't drop me. Please don't drop me. I already can't move. Don't make it worse. And here these four guys find their way to the roof. How they did that, what ropes they used. I wonder if they put a harness under the, the crippled man and, and pulled him up and then put him on the stretcher. And then they broke the roof of the house. What a weird scene. What a wild place to be at. Do you know what they were so desperate to get to? It wasn't an it. It was a person. And the reason they want to get to that person, because another believer, another disciple, allowed Jesus in his house. Is he in yours? Let me say this. The first thing about when Jesus is in your house is that everybody notices. You know what's hard to hide? I'll tell you what. It's really funny. When you get kids, and they try to hide things from mom and dad, and they start looking at each other, and you're like, no, I know that look. And like, no, 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 no. I didn't do it. It was him. It's, or, or, or if you catch them around no other sibling, they will say, it wasn't me. It was somebody else. And, you know, for years we've said, we want to meet somebody else. Maybe we'll meet him eventually, right? Uh, but they're, they're, it wasn't me. It was someone else. And you go, what are you talking about? You can look at them, and all of a sudden, they give away where the trouble is at. You know why? You can't hide those things forever. Kids are still innocent. You understand? Not like us. We're good at lying and manipulating, but kids aren't. So they try to cover it up, and, man, it's uncovered. It is, as the Bible says here, noise abroad. Can I say this? When Jesus is in your house, do you know what you know what you, you need to find out? It's hard to hide him. It's hard to hide him. You know why? That's why that's why some Christians, some believers, will fill their life with so much so that he's just not as comfortable as he used to be in the house. Ever gone to someone's house and you can tell it's just it's time to go? <laughs> I used to have a really bad habit. I, I've gotten better. I'll say better. Uh, okay, she's the, the Smiths have been in my house many times, so I want no judgment from you. My wife knows me better than anybody else, and no judgment from you. I used to have a really, I'm, get, I'm getting better, okay? But it used to be, as soon as there was a mess in the kitchen, I'd start sweeping and mopping and cleaning the dishes, and my wife would tell me, You're making people uncomfortable. Just sit down and enjoy it with them. You say, What is it? My dad was in the military, and he likes everything clean, and so he literally would just be in the kitchen all day, either cooking or cleaning, and both. And so I learned from my dad. And so as soon as there's a mess and, you know, people are tracking stuff in, let's start cleaning. But you know what that does? Around? It starts making them feel like, okay, maybe this isn't time for me to be here. Maybe I should go. It's time for me to, to leave. And let me just say this. In your life as a believer, there are moments where you just get so busy. The Lord's like, okay, maybe it's time for me to go. Are you with me? But, but ultimately speaking, the way that this should work and the way that it works in this passage is this. If Jesus is in your house... He's hard to hide. Can I say this? Don't be ashamed of Jesus Christ. Amen. Why would you be ashamed of him? Listen, he was stripped of his clothing. His beard was ripped out. They, they slammed a crown of, uh, of thorns on his head. They ripped his back open. All of that exposed before all of those men. And they mocked him. And they ridiculed him. And he did all of that because he loved you. Why would you be ashamed of him? The Bible says in verse number 1 of Mark chapter number 2, it says here that when he entered into the house, it was noise that he was there. You say, why? Because his fame followed him. Paul said this about the life and ministry and death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that this thing, the life of Christ, was not done in a corner. You know why? There's power in that name. And when that person is in your house, can I say this? It gets people's attention. Some of you young people, you got friends, you go to school and and you might feel a little bit weird when people see you with the Bible. You might feel a little bit out, out of your circle, out of your element. When people go, are you one of those Jesus freaks? Can I just say this? Just tell them, yes, I am. Amen. 
Let me just tell you, let me just tell you how good he's been to me. Let me tell you something. I don't want to hide him away anymore. I want everybody to know this is where he's found. I, I don't want to be this game where when I'm at church, I'm one way, and when I'm in the world, I'm another way. When we're around Christians, I've seen this in business. I watch people that will talk a good churchy game to get your business because they know you're a pastor, and they're talking all kinds of other things when they're not with you. You know what that is? That's playing games. You don't want to be that kind of Christian. You know what you want to do? You want to make room for Jesus in your house, and when he's there, and the whole world knows it, embrace that. Can I remind you in the Old Testament, there was a story about the Passover lamb. You may have, if you've never read your Bible, maybe you've seen it in the movie Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, you know, and, and uh, is that what it was called? Is that what that movie was called? Okay, thank you. All right, I'm just, I can't remember if that was it or the Exodus or whatever. But you remember that they took the blood and they would put it on this side. It was the blood of a lamb. The angel of death was going to pass over. And all the children of the, of the Egyptians were going were, were to be slain that night. And the angel of death would pass over. And when that angel saw that there was blood on the lentils and the posts of the door, that angel would actually pass over. It was clear after that night whose house was God's and whose house was not. Are you with me? You know what they did? They marked their house. God forbid we ever get to a place as Christians where we're like, oh, I just don't know what they think of me. I don't want to be a Jesus freak. I hope that they accept me. Listen, man, mark your house. Let them know you're a Christian. Let let them know that, that Jesus Christ resides in you. And when it comes to your marriage and your children and your life and your finances and your career, it's not like there's two separate lives. Here's my church life. God's there. And here's my secular life. God doesn't belong there. It's one house, Christian. Make room for him. And listen, he ought to be known. It ought to be known that Jesus Christ is in your house. Can I say this? It's a good thing when someone gets saved at church and then they talk to a friend or a family member and say, hey, I don't know how to explain it necessarily, but I got saved. Would you come with me and hear about it? That's an awesome thing. You know what they're saying in so many words? I know that you can find Jesus Christ in that place. I hope they can say that about your life. I hope they can say that about your life at work, about your life at school, about your life with your friends on social. Could they say that about you? Man, that guy, that lady, every time he posts something, every time we talk, every time we go, it's just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Man, I, I think that'd be a great charge for them to put against you. There are worse things that could be said. Look, if you would, at chapter two of our passage in verse number two, can I say this? Secondly, Jesus Christ will draw a crowd to himself. When Jesus is in the house, he will draw a crowd to himself. And straightway, many were gathered together, verse 2, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door, and he preached the word unto them. Can I just say this right now? Uh, uh, listen, we, we go to camp every year, and you know what's going to happen? The jocks will find each other, and the artsy people will find each other, and the people that just want to wear black and go, I don't like anybody. They find each other. Um, and, and, and everyone finds everybody. Are you with me? You know why? Because a, a certain groups and certain people attract others. What you put out is going to attract a certain amount of attention and a certain kind of attention. And listen, if you're living the Christian life the right way, you know what should be attracted to you? Sinners who want a Savior. <laughs> Do you know what happened? Jesus Christ got into this house, and it was Peter's house, and no one really cared about Peter's house before, but now all of a sudden, Peter's house was the place to be, and everybody wanted to get inside. Why? Because of Peter? Absolutely not. Peter lived there before. No one was there before. Why did they want to get there? Because Jesus was there. What kind of attention are you attracting today as a Christian? What kind of crowd are you attracting as a Christian? Let me say this. I've had people come to me and, and after they get saved, they go, I'm just worried, you know, because I got friends and they do stuff I used to do and I don't want to do that anymore. And I just don't know what to do about it. And I'm like, I got it. I got it. Next time you guys are hanging out, get out your gospel tracts and give them out to all your friends and go, okay, guys, since we're all here and you're in a different dimension anyways because you're smoking something that's making you feel really good, can I just tell you about Jesus? <laughs> you know what's going to happen? One of two things is going to happen. They're going to go, man, I want what you have. Or they're going to go, hey, can we not hang out with him anymore? He's kind of a downer at the party. 
Are you with me? And eventually what you're going to start to do is attract people, not because of your intellect, not because of your beauty, not because of your talent, but, but the people because of Jesus inside of you. And because of what you're allowing him to do in your life, they're going to be coming to you. And let me just ask you, can you just stop for a moment and go, who is it that I'm attracting to me right now? And all the single girls are like, mm, let me think about that. That's not how I mean that, okay? I don't mean like that. But maybe let's, let's run with that for just a moment. And, and, and are you attracting the right kind of guy? And young men, are you attracting the right kind of girl? You know what that is? I'll tell you how you get that. Let Jesus fill your house. There's a crowd that's going to draw in your life, and that depending on what you do with Jesus Christ, that's going to determine what kind of crowd you draw. Some of you go, well, I'm not very social. I don't have a crowd. Listen, I've met people who haven't said three words to me in 10 years, and they know like a 1,000 people in the gaming community overseas. You know somebody. Are you with me? You're drawing someone in your circle. Why? Is it because of Jesus Christ? Great. See, sometimes the people that you're going to draw, if Jesus is in his rightful place in your house, aren't even always the people you want. You many pastors have told me, how come I don't have any normal people in my church? I would never say that, okay? But I know guys that have. And so... All I can think of is this passage. Can I ask you a question? Do you, do you honestly think that, that Peter is like, man, Peter's a fisherman. Do you know any commercial fishermen? They're kind of rough around the edges. They're kind of manly men. You know, if you want to throw them in the toxic masculinity crowd, okay, fine, go ahead. <laughs> They're men. You don't mistake what they are when you meet them, okay? Okay. And these are what commercial fishermen are like. You ever watching those shows on TV? They're dropping F-bombs left and right. I mean, they're not exactly choir boys. Are you with me? This is Peter. Do you think Peter's like, behold, the Lord doth inhabit my house. All of you dirty, sick sinners, come my way. Come on. I don't think so, especially not that early on in his ministry. He just got called to discipleship the chapter before. I doubt he's excited about this. I think, if you want my honest opinion, I almost wonder if he ever wanted his mother-in-law to be healed. That's another story for another time. <laughs> you know who David drew to him? Everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented in life. And they became a mighty army, those, those ragtag bunch of men who nobody else wanted. They were the, the off-scoring. They were the rejects of society. Aren't you glad he takes rejects? Yeah, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Man, I am. And David takes these men who have no special military training, and they become some of the mightiest warriors of all time. You know why? They were drawn to a man that cared about them. You look at David, and then you look at Saul, and Saul was all about Saul. And David was about serving others. He drew the needy and made them into something they couldn't be on their own. Great picture of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad he drew you to him? And he made you something you could never be on your own? Let me ask you this question. Are you willing to do that for somebody else? No room to receive them. And then it says in verse 4, they uncovered the roof where he was. You know, for a little bit now, and we've got a couple families not here today, and we've got some guys barbecuing and whatever else. If we're all here at one time, there's nowhere to sit. Right. I've been saying, we need a building, God, God give us a building. And you say, are you discouraged? Not at all. No. I'd rather have it crowded and a little uncomfortable and know that Jesus is here than to have all the space that I want, all the convenience and all the comfort. You say, why? Because when you're drawing the crowd that Jesus wants you to draw, it ceases to be about you and it starts becoming about him. Look, if you would, at verse four again, I want you to notice something. The roof was uncovered. Christian, I'm not telling you to raise the roof. I'm telling you to break the whole thing up. 
I mean, just break. You know what? You know what having Jesus in your house might mean? It might mean that things are broken up a bit. Is that okay with you? Is it okay for God to come and go, yeah, that plan, you think it's a great idea, and in your own mind, you're a genius, but that's a dumb idea. It's going to ruin your marriage. It's going to ruin your family. It's going to ruin your life. You're not going to see anything that I have planned for you. You're going to ruin the design desire I have for your life. Let's move this out. Can, can, can God come into your house and, and allow that the roof be broken up? Let me just say this. If I am Peter, I'm not standing up in there going, praise God. Sure, I'm glad someone's breaking my house down. You ever have, you know, you have kids come over sometimes and you tell them, hey, we got lighter colored carpet, take your shoes off. And they're like, okay. Even my own children tell me every day, take your shoes off, okay, all right. And then you see these footprints that are about yay big. And it's not exactly clean on the carpet and you go, hey, buddy, do you know where that came from? I don't know. Let me just say this. We don't like when someone messes up our house. Right. We don't like when the plans get distorted. Can I, can I say this? I guarantee you, Peter in his mind is thinking, you know what? I shouldn't have let him touch my mother-in-law and heal her. Now my house is broken down. And by the way, at the end of the story, if you read it, it wasn't like Jesus goes, okay, let's fix the roof. They heal this guy. All this stuff happens. And then they go on about their life. I'm going, what about the roof? Like, no one ever talks about fixing the roof. And all I can figure out is that maybe in God's economy, in God's mind, there are some things that we have in the way of, of his blessings, and he looks at it and goes, you know what? Let's just leave it like that for a while. You and I can talk a little bit more clearly with that, with that roof gone anyways. I have no idea what God is doing with our building situation kind of feels like things are kind of woo, and all I can say is okay Lord we trust you just don't leave us if 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 you end up putting us in a field out somewhere and we had to put up a tent Lord that's fine some of you're like not on a day like this we're not (laughs) well uh, I'll be out there (laughs) whoever wants to join me come out as long as Jesus is there I'm I'll, I'll be all right the moral of the story is if he's in the house, listen, it's okay if things are broken up. There's a blessing in the breaking. He takes those that, that, the five loaves and he breaks them and blesses them and 5,000 people eat. He takes his body and his body is broken for us and we are blessed some 2,000 years later and souls continue to be saved. Why? Because there's a blessing in the breaking. Let me ask you this question. What's the thing in the way of you and the Lord filling your house. You say, well, maybe it's not a physical roof. Maybe it's a spiritual roof. And there's just so far, you keep getting in your your walk with God, and then you keep hitting that ceiling. People talk about all the time in their careers, I just hit my ceiling in my career. Some of you do that in your spiritual life. It's like, "I, I come so far, and you know why you come so far? Because that roof is still in the way. You know what? Someone had to say, hey, Pete, you all right with this? Yeah, boys, break it down. If the Lord said, hey, can I just move some things around a little bit? Can I change your schedule? I mean, I'm not trying to be mean when I say this, but these days, a lot of people think they're doing God the biggest favor in the world by coming not just at 11 o'clock, but at 10 o'clock, too. (laughs) I sit for an hour-long Bible lesson, and then... We have music, and then we, he talks, and then we, he preaches, and man, we get out of there too late, and I just, it's just too much on me. I'm trying, to be ni- I'm trying to be nice, and I don't want to come off the wrong way, because if you're visiting, I'm glad you came our way. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about those who ought to know better, who basically come in here and go, all right, God, I did you a favor. I put everything off this week so I could come here for an hour. You better do something for my life. The Lord's like, let's just, you know what? Maybe we just leave that roof intact because you don't seem very willing to break it up. That box of ointment in Mark 14, the blessing isn't poured out until the box is broken. You remember that? The Bible describes the Apostle Paul as one that was broken down and weak. He couldn't see very well. And he'd been beaten several times with rods and 
he says, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. There's a good chance due to the physical condition that he was in that maybe he walked like this. And there's a good chance because of his eyesight that he talks about being a thorn in the flesh that he kind of he goes, can I see that? And he kind of goes like this. And, and people look at this, and they, they look at that guy and go, you're the great Apostle Paul? <laughs> I, I was expecting something more like Tim Tebow, you know? Because <laughs> if you follow God, you're going to be ripped, you know what I'm saying? Like, m- maybe, maybe not. Are you with me? Right. People will look at the Apostle Paul and be like, man, who's that guy? Oh, no, nobody, just a guy that writes half the New Testament. It started... Several churches on a number of continents. Just, just some guy. Don't worry about him. He's a nobody to the world. And if you don't have the right viewpoint, he'll be a nobody to you. But you know what he was? He was a man used of God. You know why? He allowed God to break things down in his life. Right. Moses had a speech impediment. You know that? You can go toe-to-toe with the king of the world and you got a speech impediment? <laughs> I would have been like, God, can you give me some speech classes before I do this? Paul couldn't see. The Bible says of Jesus Christ, there's no beauty that we should seek after him. John dies alone in exile on the Isle of Patmos. You say, who are these people? People that matter to God. But you would look at their lives and go, there's just not, I mean, they're not, they're not millionaires and they're not recognized by the world and not many mighty, not many noble. God hath chosen the foolish things and the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Can I just say this to the man on the stretcher? All that dust and all that breaking up, that was one of the most beautiful construction projects that man has ever seen in his life. To everybody else, it looked like a mess. But to that man, that was his miracle. See, it's all about perspective. God comes in and goes, okay, you guys want children? Bamo. <laughs> Lord, we want to make a difference with our children, and Lord, we've always wanted a boy, and God's like, I got two for one. Boom, there you go. And then it's like, all right, Lord, we just want to make a difference, and the Lord's like, really, you want to make a difference? Here's another surprise. <laughs> and the Lord's like, are you okay with me kind of changing your plans? We had kind of a mental clock winding down how many years we had left (laughs) before the little ones would fly the coop and it would just be us two again. And we had to rewind that clock a few years. (laughs) Like like 18 years. (laughs) It's his house. You know how I know when a Christian sees it the right way? Their calendar aligns appropriately. It's not a chore to come to church. It's not a chore to get into your Bible. It's not a chore. It's your life. It's your life. Can I point out the wording in verse 4? There's some things that need to be uncovered in your life. Are you with me? It says they uncovered the roof. That's interesting wording. He just could have said they broke the roof. I like how it's worded. Because there's some things that are just covering the surface that need to be removed so that God can get in and really do a miracle. Amen. Can I point out in verse 6 of our passage, as much as I'd like to tell you that when Jesus is in your house, that everyone's going to love you. I mean, it's kind of, honestly, it's kind of mind-blowing. It's, it's kind of mind-blowing. Ladies, can I ask you a question? Have you ever met a man that's never lied? Can I get a witness from you ladies? Come on now. You know what the Bible says in the book of Psalms? All men are liars. I remember a girl in Bible school that had on her voicemail, it was a voicemail box. It was a little thing with a tape inside of it. And so it would say, leave your name at the tone. It would go, beep. And the beep was, a, it doesn't matter. Anyways, the, the recording on that box was, and I said, it was a girl named Levada, and I said in my haste, all men are liars, Psalms. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to leave you a voicemail, you weirdo. What's wrong with you? 
Ladies, let me ask you a question. Can you imagine meeting a man that never thought a dirty thought about a woman? That's Jesus Christ. Can, can you imagine, gentlemen, meeting a man that always did his job the right way? No corners cut. No wink, wink. We'll just kind of do a, you know, I'll scratch your back. No, no, he did it all right. Amen. Sinless. And he spent his adult life, the three and a half years that he had, from 30 to 33 and a half, helping and ministering to other people. Let me ask you a question. What's wrong with a man like that? Who wouldn't want that in their house? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Let's be honest. You got all kinds of stuff going on in your houses. I know I do. And it's not always Jesus. Can I get a witness? And you know what needs to happen? You need to go to a place where you go, you know what? I want Jesus Christ in every single room in my house. And guess what? He would love to fill your house. He would love to change the plans. He would love to break things up. But understand this. When he does, not everybody's going to be a fan. Look at verse number six. Jesus being in your house means you might draw some criticism. You don't just draw a crowd, you draw criticism. How many of you got saved, and after you got saved, you thought everyone around you was going to be super pumped that you got saved, and you were like, I'm going to go tell everybody, Amen. right? And, and, then, and then you did, and you're like, wait, they're not so happy, right? right? What happened? I don't, I don't get it. Look at verse 6. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there. Can I just say this right now? If, you're, if you allow yourself to be criticized by people who are just sitting there, that's your fault. If you, if you, if you take their words as weighty and you go, oh, maybe I should change. Did you read the words? They're just sitting there. Because you know what people that criticize do? They just sit there. They're like the two old men from the Muppets. Oh, remember those two old guys? Sit up there and they just make fun of it. They don't do anything. They just look at the show, they make fun of it, and they laugh. You need to understand this. There are people in your life who are physically in the sphere of your influence. They are around your house. They see what Jesus is doing in your life. They don't like it. And maybe the reason why is because they're insecure in their own selves because they don't know the peace that you have and they see what Jesus is doing and it makes them a little uncomfortable. And so rather than going, I, I applaud you, that's great. I wish I had that. What they say is, why are you so dogmatic about that? And why is that such a big deal? And how come your kids don't do that anymore? And why are you such a freak? What's wrong with you? We used to go and hang out and drink and have a good time and now you're all like, you know, I don't do that anymore. What's wrong? You think you're better than me? That's what you're going to get. You ought to know the answer is, no, I'm not any better than anybody else. And I don't think I'm better because I don't do that stuff. I just know that that stuff didn't bring about happiness and joy in my life. Then, and it won't now. And I got something a whole lot better than that in my house. Let me just say this. It's going to draw criticism. Look with me, if you would, at Mark 14. Mark 14. Same book. You know what Paul says in Galatians? Ye did run well. He goes on to say this, though. Who did hinder you that you should not obey? In other words, you were doing great, and then all of a sudden you stopped because of what someone said or did. Why? Some Christians, are man, you see them growing and, and maturing, and they're, they're reaching out to others, and things are going great. And then someone in their life, maybe a girlfriend, maybe a boyfriend, maybe a spouse, maybe a, a child, I don't know, some a friend or someone says, why are you doing, I don't agree with this, I don't like this, and all of a sudden you just stop in your tracks, and that's the end of your growth. Don't let that be you. Just remember, those that are often criticizing are those that are just sitting there, Watching. It's a lot easier to watch and criticize than it is to do something, isn't it? Look at Mark chapter 14. Mark 14. Verse 3. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. Now, this is someone doing something great for Jesus Christ. Can we agree on that? What was the response in verse 4? They called it a waste. You see that? You're wasting your life on this Jesus stuff. 
Why was this waste? They criticized her. And you learn from the other gospel, the gospel of John, the reason they criticized her is because Judas was involved and he was the one that held the money back. And he's looking at the money going, man, what a waste. We could just, we could invest in that and do something better with that. And he uses the poor as an excuse. When his heart wasn't about the poor. But here's Judas sitting there, criticizing this woman. Tears streaming down her face. Do you understand what it, what it means for a woman to walk into a room, especially in Middle Eastern culture back then especially, unannounced and go and do what she did? She was already out of her element, vulnerable, walking into what would feel like a den of lions. And there she is, and she pours this thing out the feet of Jesus Christ, and everyone around her is criticizing her. You know what I love, though? I love that Jesus speaks up for her. You know what he says? He says, let her alone. Why trouble ye the woman? She hath wrought a good work upon me. You know why they're troubling her? Because they're not doing anything. And it bothers them to see someone else do something that Jesus praises. It's It's a matter of value system is what it is. I, I think about this story, and I think about the fact that here's a man taking a sick man and healing him and making his life better, and yet people find fault with it. You know what that shows me? When you're following God, even when you do everything the best that you can do, someone's going to find fault with it. And you're going to have to learn to smile and go, yeah, but Jesus is in my house. Amen. Yeah. But something special is happening here. Go back to Mark chapter 2 and we'll be done. Look at Mark 2 and verse number 12. I like some of the phrases that describe how they feel about this event. After this man that was sick and he was sick of the palsy, uh, you've heard of cerebral palsy and basically what it does, it cripples. And, and here's this man that is crippled and he can't move and and here, the, 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 the commandment that Jesus Christ gives him in verse 11 is very unique. Think about this. If you know someone can't move, would you say, get up and take your bed with you? <laughs> Wouldn't you hope that Jesus goes, you know, light comes on, you know, and, and you know, the, the heavens start to echo the angels singing, you know, and, and all of a sudden he goes, and he, you know, shoots some kind of things out of his fingers, and everybody goes, now he's healed, and he gets up, and he can, no, but the Lord just tells him, hey, buddy, get up, get out that bed, pick it up with you, and keep on trucking. And the miracle is that the guy does. The man gets up, and he starts moving. Now, you understand it wasn't that man's faith. It was the faith of his friends that were willing to bring him and drop him through that roof that Jesus awards. He says, man, your friends have great faith. I'm going to honor that. But what I want you to understand is this. Because Peter allowed Jesus in his house, because Peter allowed Jesus in his house, Peter was allowed to be a part of something that's impossible. You know what I want? I want, listen, if you, I'm not, I'm the kind of person, some of you are going to have, you talk about food, people get weird. You know, your favorite foods, and I don't like that, and that's terrible for you. And, but I'm not one of the guys that thinks an impossible burger is evil. If it tastes like a burger, I don't mind at all. I mean, but, you know, you look at it, but really, can let's be honest about it, guys, that's not impossible. You put enough chemicals in anything, even vegetables, it'll taste like a burger. All right? And, but, but here is something that truly is impossible Here's a man that could not move. Now he gets up, and with tears of gratitude streaming down his face, he grabs his bed, he looks at Jesus, he looks at those that are criticizing, he shakes his head, looks back at Jesus, smiles, and I bet you somewhere in his mind he's going, whoever let Jesus in this place, thank you. And Peter's in the background, because you know what, Peter's not the hero of the story. But Peter gets to be a part of something that truly is impossible. Why? Look at the wording in verse number 12. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them. Some of you parents wish you had Jesus in your house so your kids would pick up their beds, right? (laughs) Arise, take thy bed with thee, you know? Insomuch, look at this, they were all amazed. They glorified God, and they said, we never saw it. On this fashion. 
Wouldn't it be great for people to look at your life and go, I've never seen anything like that? Some of you are like, they do, but not for good reason. I mean, for a good reason. They look at your life and go, man, look at what Jesus has done in that house. The maniac of Gadara being healed, he was a hopeless case. The woman with the issue of blood, she was a hopeless case. The blind man named Bartimaeus, he was a hopeless case. The ten lepers that were cleansed, that one that came back, and thank God in Luke chapter number 17, he was a hopeless case. But hopeless meets hope when Jesus is in the house. I want to close with this thought. Go with me to Luke chapter number 8. Can I, can I say this? Nothing is impossible if you have the right person in the house. I'm going to brag on my wife a little bit. When uh, uh, Maybe you guys are different. When, when my wife leaves me with the kids and she comes back and the house is clean, I'm like, yeah, yeah did it you know but I gotta be honest with you when mom's not there you feel it it's just not the same don't get me wrong I have changed diapers I've never been the guy that was like oh dude I can't do that if I made it I need to help clean it up amen (laughs) amen Amen. I have no problem with that I've never been that guy I don't mind cleaning I like cleaning all that stuff but there is just something when mom is gone and you know, she's gone for a couple of days. She's gone to see her family before. And it's just like, you're going to be okay? I'm like, yeah, I got this, you know. And then after like the second day, you know, the first day, the kids are like, dad's awesome. Because we do everything we want to do and stay up late and eat ice cream for breakfast. It's so cool. Then after the second day, they're like, we miss mommy. <laughs> you know why? Because there's just something. Things flow better. When she's in the house. They just do. But you know what wouldn't work? If I tried to be married to two women in the same house. I'm glad you're not caring today. That's a good thing. Probably get shot right now. You know why? It's only room for one. Some people in your life may have to take an exit so that Jesus Christ can make an entrance. Look at Luke chapter number 8. Luke chapter number 8. Luke chapter 8, look if you would at verse 49. While he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. You see... Earlier in this chapter, this man was trying to get Jesus to come to his house, but there was that woman with an issue of blood that we learned about a few weeks ago, and she kind of got in the way. She was that interruption. She was that breaking up of the roof at the moment. And so they come to this guy that was seeking Jesus' to help, and they go, hey, leave Jesus alone. There's nothing you can do for you. Your daughter died. Man, I'm sorry. Now, if you're that man... You're probably not exactly happy with that woman who interrupted Jesus and got her healing, and now your daughter's dead, right? But notice what happens in verse 50. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. And when he came into the house, he suffered no man to go in, save Peter and James and John, and of course, the father and the mother, because if you're doing any kind of medical stuff, the parents should be involved. So here's Jesus with Peter and James and John and and, and this girl's parents. And look at verse 52. And all wept and bewailed her, but he, Jesus, said, Weep not. She is not dead, but sleepeth. Look at their response in verse 53. (laughs) Well, look at Jesus' response in verse 54. Can I just say this? You know why, if you're a born-again child of God and you're kind of missing out on some of the things God has for your life, you know why some of that might be? I got Jesus in the house. I got saved. Yeah, but there's some other people there. And they're just making fun of everything you're doing. And the Lord's like, look, I like to work with some silence. 
I don't like to work with all this noise. And this noise is hurting you because you're in and you're out and you're in and you're out and you're up and you're down and you are all over. You're Reuben is what you are. You're unstable as water, partly because of the people that are around you. You know what I want you to understand? You got the right person in the house. Anything can happen, but you might have to get some other people out of the way. That woman, that young lady was raised from the dead, but he didn't perform that miracle until he got the scorners out of the way. Christian, you should desire, like nobody else, for Jesus to be in your house. It should be okay that he can't be hid. It should be okay that when he's there, he goes, let's break this, let's just move some things around in your life. And it should be okay that he says, look, I want to do the impossible in your life, but before I do that, let's make some room. Let's all stand, every head bowed and every eye closed. Some of you got a full house, but it may not be filled with Jesus. Father, I pray your blessing on the word that was given. God, I pray that before we rush out of here and enjoy some fellowship, Lord, that your people would have a stillness about them and do some business with you. And God, I pray that our house, our earthly house, our life, would be filled with you, that it would be drawing those who desire the truth, those who desire healing. God, that you'd help us to be okay with the changing of the plans, the knocking out of the roof, the the making of room. God, I pray for these saved people, young and old alike, Lord, that the crowd, the people that we gather around us, Lord, that we might understand the importance of that, Lord, we want you to do the impossible in our lives. Lord, I pray if anyone here is not saved, to the world, it does not make sense that you could take all of someone's sins away in a moment. But Lord, you're the God of the impossible. You can do that. And I pray, Lord, if someone's here without Jesus Christ, they've never been born again, that today they could experience the impossible, that they would invite Jesus into their spiritual house. And God, I pray, Lord, for every believer that's here, The house wouldn't be so crowded with things and people that Jesus can't work and move and enter. Every head bowed and every eye closed, the Lord spoke to you. I pray you'd respond. Christian, what's your house filled with? What's your schedule filled with? What's your mind filled with? You have some unforgiveness there, some bitterness. Can I say this? It needs to be moved out of the way for Jesus to work. got a grudge you're holding on to? Got something that maybe you don't want anyone to know about between you and the Lord? It's just, it's a sticking point. The altar's open. I'd be honest with you folks. I think we rush through too much the Christian life. We rush through so much of life as it is, any, any part of it. But especially as believers, in the moments where the Lord is trying to deal with you, he goes, hey, let's make room. Family is a blessing, one of God's greatest blessings. But I, sometimes, as Christians, family becomes God. It's not. God is God. You want him to move in? You want him to work? You want him to do the impossible? Can I just encourage you, make some room in your house. Some of you young people are about ready to go to camp soon. And I'm going to shoot straight with you. Some of you have been playing games, one foot in the world, one foot in church. And you're not going to get everything out of camp that you could. I realize this is a pointed moment with the young people. I'm sorry, but I'm trying to help them. I don't want you to miss out on that. You know what you need to do right now? Make room in your life for the Lord. Make the right room. Can I ask you, can I challenge you a little bit as a believer? What and who are you drawing into your life and why? Just for a moment longer before we leave, I want to ask a question, simple question. I'm going to ask that every head be bowed and every eye be closed for just a moment. If you're here, 
And there was a moment in time where you went from darkness to light, from lost to saved, from spiritually dead to spiritually awakened by the new birth. And you know that you're saved. Would you be willing to just slip up your hand and go, yep, I'm a child of God. I'm one of those. Pastor, I'm one of those that wants to make room in my house for Jesus. Amen. That's great. That's awesome. Do it. Make room. Make room in your speech. Make room in your mind. Make room in your desires. Make room in your habits. Make room with your schedule. But if you're here and you've never been born again, out of respect for what we're doing right now, I would ask that everyone's heads stay bowed and eyes closed. I want you to feel that there's some privacy that's just between you and God. If you're here and you've never been born again, you know that you're lost. Would you be honest enough to raise your hand? And I won't point you out. I won't embarrass you or drag you down or anything like that. But no one's looking around. It's just you and God. And I'd like to pray for you, though. Would there be anyone that's honest enough if you aren't saved, you've never been born again? Not because you're a any worse than anyone else in this room. We're all sinners. Join the club. But rather because you just realize there's something missing. I don't know what it is to have peace with God. I don't know who God really is. I don't, I, I, I followed some of what you're saying, but I didn't get the same thing out of this that maybe someone else did. I think there's something missing. I don't know that my sins are forgiven. I don't know that heaven is my home. I don't know that I'm, I'm one of God's children, but I'd like to know, is there anyone here like that, honest enough to briefly slip up your hand and go, just pray for me, preacher. I'd like to know someday. I won't point you out. I can't. Religion would force you to do something. I can't do that. Salvation's not religion. It's a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And if you've never been saved, we'd love to open a Bible today and show you how you can know for sure that you're a born-again child of God. Christian, when you leave this place, remember, it's not your house. It's his. You know what you tell your kids? <laughs> when they get to be about 13, 14, somewhere in there, and they start having all the greatest ideas in the world about how to run your home, you tell them, wait a minute. This, isn't your, this, is, this is my house. My rules, right? You may not say those words, but that's the gist of it. Christian, it's God's house, his rules. Make room for him. We got something out of the word today. We're going to dismiss in a word of prayer. Thank you for coming. We invite you to join us, Mission Viejo Park. Come out, come hungry. We'll have plenty of food, all right? And uh, we'll be doing some volleyball. And I think the Lovatos are bringing the, the softball game, right? If you can bring your glove, you got to bring your gloves. But they've got bats and balls and Lovato. Is it? Is my, Oh, oh, okay. All right. Well, Lenny's uh, very well off. He's going to go to the Walmart and buy us all bats and gloves and balls. All right, everybody. Take Len Lenny. All right, Lenny. There you go. So, Lenny, in light of your charity, would you close us in a word of prayer? All right.